It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favor to ask of you. Really appreciate it. If you took time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes, and while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate, make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the question of the month. And the winner will receive a $50 Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline to give us your question and maybe win 50 bucks. So Bridget, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Fantastic. Happy Friday. So we missed fantastic last week. I, I know. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. And happy Friday. Happy Friday. And where are you today? I'm in beautiful Boston. Beautiful Boston. Still, still beautiful. That's nice. Okay. Beautiful Boston. I love Boston. I love California too. And I love Boston. It's good to love where you are. Bloom where you're planted. <laughs> Bloom where you're planted. Oh, wow. Bloom where you're planted. That sounds like that came from your grandmother or something. It, it doesn't. It, I don't remember who <laughs> told me that years and years ago, but I thought, God, that's such a great one. Just bloom where you're planted. Right now I'm planted in Boston. I'm going to do my best to bloom. Okay. Those like those old expressions. You know, there's too many of those expressions are just gone. Right? Uh, I know. used to love uh, those. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop saying this because you know what? Here's what it does. It exposes. It exposes my wise years. It exposes the number of wise well, no, years. This just means you had wise grandparents. Well, that's probably true, too. I mean, my family, both sides of the family, came from Iowa, and they had <laughs> all these sayings that were... And the one that sticks with me most was... Um, it was actually it was my mother's aunt. So I'd always have this expression you know, about how she could... You know, reminiscing about when we were little kids and she first knew us. And she said, yeah, I can remember you when you were knee-high to a duck. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's always stayed with me. So, that is so cute. Knee-high to a duck. Knee-high to a duck. That is darling. <laughs> well, there you I go. I love that. Knee-high to a duck. Southern Iowa. That's Folksy, cute. That's Folksy very expression. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you're in Boston. I'm in New York. Uh, we're both East Coast. East Coast. You, you never That's know. Good. You never know where we are. You, you've got three different, well, two different continent, two different land masses that you're on. Sometimes <laughs> you're in North, you're on the continent of North America, not excluding Hawaii. And sometimes you're in Hawaii. Sometimes Hawaii. Yeah. East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. East yeah. Coast, West Coast, middle of the Pacific. Yeah. So East Coast today. East Coast. So, also in New York, beautiful today. So, no, no Great complaints. City. Yeah, it's springtime. Humidity hasn't really come up yet. So, all right. So, we're going to talk about one of our favorite episodes, one of the listeners' favorite episodes as well, when we talk about the books we've been reading. And so, are you leading off or am I leading off? I want you to lead off. Okay. So, you one, know what my favorite episode is? What's that? It's when I get to ask the question. Oh. <laughs> Let's make sure we circle one of those back in. Okay, we'll put one of those back in. I thought we were okay. going to say we talk about running shoes. So, um, that too. We just did one of those. 
So a book I, I among I've read lots of books recently. So one of the ones one of those that I've read that really enjoyed is a book called The Leadership Gap: What Gets Between You and Your Greatness, written by author who's become a friend. Her name Lolly Daskal. She's also a New York City resident. That's L O L L Y D A S K A L. And very interesting book because it it talks about um, because she's a CEO coach for you know Fortune 500 type companies, so it works with senior leadership, a lot of big companies, and has written this book that that talks about this gap that leaders in general sort of fall into, and I, I sort of likened it to like a curiosity gap. It's like when you become self satisfied that you've nothing more to learn, and you stop changing and you stop evolving, suddenly this gap appears right between what you think you are and what you need to be. And the book is about how to, how to identify sort of your, your type of leadership. And she uses the archetypes that she's developed sort of, um, just based on Jungian psychiatry or psychology Hmm. and uh, sort of expresses, okay, here are these seven archetypes that, that have a range of, of capabilities and within that range, you know, what are your challenges? You know, what, what do you need to learn? What do you need to be careful of? And so on. And it, it um, was really interesting because I mean, it talks really forced you to say you have to sort of constantly sort of rethink what you think you know and really be pragmatic, understand what she called you really have to pinpoint what you don't know because you, know, you can't generalize. And this will help you make sure that you don't get stuck. Really interesting. What's her background? Like, what was she doing before she was executive coaching? I'm going to read her book, by the way. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I'm trying to recall. You know? I'd probably find it in my notes, for sure. Um, but she's been doing this for a long time and has a you know, big following. And so it just yeah, it brings a lot of interesting sources, sources to it. And I sort of one quote I like from the book that, and we talk about this idea about understanding who we are as from Joseph Campbell. Uh, mm. If you'd read his books on stories and myth and so on, mm-hmm. who said, you know, we must let go of the life we planned so as to accept the one that is waiting for us. Great. I love that. Great quote, huh? I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I tend to have quotes that I cling on to. At uh, different periods of time, mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. it's even a period of time. It could be a day or a period of time. It could be a week or a moment. Or and I, I that one is just a, a really great one in general. Yeah, just letting go of what we're grasping so that we can accept just what life is offering. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's my first book. Do you have one? Yeah, I'm. Um, before we move off that, sure. when I was talking to our CEO about just some hires that we're looking to make, and there's one that he had said, gosh, well, this person it would be also to be on the executive team, but would be, it's between these two candidates. One is much more comfortable, like backgrounds more similar, sort of an easier mm-hmm. Fit, and the other one would be a lot more challenging. But he said, 
for us as a team, we need to have these differences on the executive team so that we help balance out each other. And it's, it's sort of a different way of perhaps when you were talking about the leadership gap, it made me think of that, that mm-hmm. we're thinking about even on the executive team, how do we make sure that there are people who are going to continue to challenge us and, and encourage us to look at things differently? Right. Because by definition, I can't see my blind spots. Right. So how I, I need somebody to kind of help in and around that. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that, you know, we, we talk in, you know, sales about the, the, let's say, the challenger sale. And if you sort of, you know, take that principle and apply it a little bit here in the situation is that, yeah, we need to work with people that, that challenge us in ways that, that make us a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's, uh, yeah, so you can do it with a book, you can do it with people, um, a lot of different, a lot of different ways to do it. So that's, sounds really good. I'd, I'd love to read I'm, I'm looking forward to reading her book. Okay, so one of the ones, I mean, you and I, were always reading different books. One of the ones that I read actually just kind of skimmed, reviewed again when I was flying from Boston to San Francisco last week was um, Sandler for Sales Leaders. Mm-hmm. And s- several people on my team have had Sandler so they're familiar with it. They use a lot. They talk a lot about the different rules and the different uh, principles. And so I just wanted to, my little refresher on, you know, Sandler and some of those. When was the last time that you read, I'm sure you've read the Sandler books. I've read one, but it was forever ago. Yeah, because they're, um, these have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. But very, very basic around understanding. You and I have talked about this in previous uh, podcasts. Really understanding the problem and this this idea of a pain funnel, and identifying kind of what is the problem. How long have you had it? Have you tried to fix it? Did it work? How much is it costing you? What's the impact? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really spending enough time to make sure that you don't miss that very, very, very critical, very critical piece of it. Hmm. Interesting. So just sort of a, a kind of a basic, I don't know, I would say kind of a basic, just refresher. Um, let me think of some of the other things that were in there for sales leaders. One of the things that I liked is instead of trying to fix problems is really explore. You don't want to create, you don't want to create sufficiency. You want to create self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they asked is how would you solve this? What would you do if I weren't here to come to what, what different ideas would you like? What would you think of doing if you didn't have me to ask? Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't have another, you, I'd be lost. Oh, I know. That's what most people say. I, I think, how can they possibly, how could anyone possibly live without that? <laughs> and then the last one I'll say that, that really stuck out with me is um, about meetings. And, you know, asking reps, how'd the meeting go? Oh, the meeting went well. And they said, meetings can only go well if... There's a clearly defined next step 
with an agenda already that you've both agreed on. Otherwise, the meeting didn't go well. And I and he suggests that at the end of every that you've got a list of questions that your reps know that you're going to ask. Mm-hmm. Kind of it, that's already prescribed. Sure. That you're going to ask at the end of a meeting, and you just know, and they should they should be prepared for those so that you just, again, a lot of consistency in how you, uh, coach and train and everybody's on the same page and really creating some standardization. So I, I just, I, I, as you probably know, I like the, I like process. I like consistency. I like repeatability. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Sandler's been around for a long time. So yeah, That's one of the ones I read. Okay. Read, I read a newest book. Yeah, I've actually, yeah, pretty new, actually, called Zero Resistance. Author's name is huh. Harry, Harry Mills. Huh. And Harry's written a number of books, and his premise in this book is that the only way to win customer business is through self-persuasion. I mean that buyers are skeptical and mistrustful of salespeople, and that becomes those then become the biggest barriers to getting an order. And we sort of reinforce that with our what he calls sort of the conventional tell and sell sales model. Uh-huh. So um, you know, relies on you know some research from some social psychologists and so on to talk about how self persuasion is fundamentally more powerful than direct persuasion. And you know, it reduces resistance of people trying to convince themselves of something, persuade themselves. And um, so it, it was interesting. This is about you know using um, it, what they defined, what he defined as an insights-driven method to to uh, help the customer solve the problem. But the, the insights was a little different spin on insights, rather than being about. Insights sort of being what you're telling them about their business. It's more about helping them to find what they want to become. And, you know, doing that, that joint effort then you know, helps lay the foundation then for the self-persuasion. Because you've worked collaboratively to help them decide what it is they want to achieve. And then he talks about some sort of aha uh, moments that, you know, through storytelling and other devices that, that uh, give the customer the information to self-persuade. Love that. How did you find this book? Um, I'm just curious. Interviewed him for the show. So he was his PR person. <laughs> Called and pitched him to be on my show. Actually, most of these books I'm going to talk about today are as a result oh. of people, PR firms pitching me that they should have their author on the show. Ah, oh, that's great. Andy, okay, so there are all these books, and and people are out there listening and they may pick up a book and how much of this, I guess I have two questions. How Mm. much of this do you think an individual can take and integrate and make a difference? And how much, and, and if somebody really wants to make a difference with what they learn in a book, what's the best way for them to do that? And, and I ask that because I, I, I mean, I know even for myself, I read a lot and I have to be very deliberate about what are the one or two things that I may do differently as a result of a book and, and really work on it. Because other than that, I can read it 
and I can intellectualize it, mm-hmm. but I don't actualize it. Yeah. Well, I think that if you don't, if those one or two things don't reach out and really grab you by the throat, then you know those aren't the one or two. Th- those aren't one or two things that you're going to take away, right? I mean, it's it's for me that that's really what it boils down to. What are things that really jump out, and I'll remember those. And if they really jump out, I'll I'll say I'll try to integrate those into into my practice in some way. But it that they just they have to they have to jump out. I'm in trouble with too many books that I've. And I read a lot of books. I have a lot of guests on the show that have books they want me to read and, and interview the authors. And yeah, I read a lot of books that are well-written, well-put-together, but don't have anything really new to add to the conversation. And, and I thought this, this idea of self-persuasion and the way it was expressed is, is a new perspective to think about. I mean, it's not like it's new perspective the way it was framed. I mean, it's not that we, we haven't been aware of this, right? Because we all know that hey, if we can get the customer involved and sort of collaborating with us to come up with what their solution should be, you know, they have some sort of intellectual ownership in that, that, that process, then, you know, if, if we've sold, you know, big enterprise accounts or, you know, anything with their sort of complexity, we know that we've increased the likelihood of the customer advocating for that because they feel that sense of ownership, which is, is that self-persuasion aspect of it. But I just like the way he packaged it up and, and put it together, and I think made it made it uh, really clear for people to, to understand the concept and and how to try to use it. it. You know, it's what do you do, Andy, if somebody pitches you on a book? So so somebody comes and they pitch you on a book, and nothing grabs you. Like the PR person pitches you on a person who's mm-hmm. typically written a book, nothing it's grabs happened. you. It's happened. I mean, and you explore it any? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had some what I call interesting conversations with with guests that you know. I can think of one one guest in particular that that was really having a hard time defending the thesis of the book, <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, that yeah it makes for an interesting episode. You know, we're not necessarily on the same page, and that that sometimes happens. I I don't buy into everything I read by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, it just makes for a more challenging conversation. And, and interesting, too. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to, I just wanted to hear, uh, reading a book is not necessarily going to help you be better at sales. No. So just by reading it, that's not the end. That's the starting point. The real work comes in, like you said, sometimes it's, you may find one or two things that jump out at you, but you still have to jump back and you've got to go do something and you've got to go practice because it are, these things don't become habits and we don't change if we don't really practice mm-hmm. and be deliberate about it. Otherwise, we can read these books all day long and still not make any progress. Yeah. Yeah. No, Absolutely. And it's, it's um, yeah, I think information hits you at sort of different levels, right? There's some that's very actionable for me. Hey, something I may want to try in a conversation with a customer, or a question I may want to ask. And others more just sort of mindset-oriented. True. Maybe not a, a behavior, but just a perspective mm-hmm. to have. And so I, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I highlight way too much when I go through books. <laughs> and, but I've gotten in the habit now with, with certain books is, is, you know, I will, the things I really think stick out, you know, I, I copy and paste into a, a note, an Evernote, and I can go back and, and review it. So I always have sort of access to say, okay, I, I read something in this book that was really interesting. I, I don't remember now because I got busy, but I go back and, and then look at it again. Yeah, I do. I very much do the same. Okay, what else? What else? Is it my turn or your turn? I think it's your turn. Okay, one that I started, I'm not very far through it, is called Getting More. Do you know that one? Sounds like a very 80s book. Um, it's okay. Well, it's a negotiation. It's a negotiation book. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's Stuart diamond and it's, uh, it's an interesting take on negotiation. It's much more about the emotional and interpersonal Mm -hmm. as opposed to the tactical or even strategic. And Sort of the premise is, is that emo, uh, emotions destroy negotiations and they distract people from their goals. And if you, it, whenever you get emotional, you lose, you lose power. And you've got to just take a break. So talks a lot about the emotions first mm-hmm. before. Um, what are some other things? Talks about being incremental mm-hmm. in negotiating as opposed to going it's easier for people to accept these incremental changes as opposed to a big one um being a good communicator that's i think important again i'm not all the way through it but i but i like it so far it's just an interesting take on it so i'm enjoying it it was recommended by one of my reps so where does selling stop and negotiation begin um I don't think selling stops and negotiation begins. I think it's a dance. I don't see them as separate. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think a good portion of selling could be you know, put, in, put into the rubric of, of negotiation. Yeah, I think they... I think in some ways, yeah, selling and negotiation are so sort of similar that sometimes you're negotiating, you could call it neg- selling or negotiating to get somebody's time, mm-hmm. um, to get them agree to do something for you, to see a demo. Like there's always this, this dance back and forth, selling and negotiation. Which one is it? I think they, they're part and parcel of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if you know, I'm thinking back to a couple of really major contract negotiations I was involved with, where I sold the deal, but then was involved in the the negotiation after the fact, is that that so many of the principles are the same, just based on the ones you talked about, but uh, already from the book that you've uncovered, that there's yeah, it's not yeah, they really go hand in hand, and you know, if you're working with a a customer or buyer and their representative and you're actually negotiating the terms and conditions of a contract and 
you know, you have to do a little discovery, right? What what are the ones, what are the terms and conditions that are really going to be important for them, right? How are they going to be measured on success from their side when the contract is signed? And you can sort of go through this, the standard set of discovery questions that you really should understand before you get involved at the detailed discussions. Because otherwise you have to say, okay, well, how can I how can I help them get what they want and how can I help my side get what we need? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I agree with you. I think they, I think they're almost one and the same. They go hand in hand. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's about problem solving, right? Somebody objects to a specific term that you want in the, or condition you want in the contract. Um, Okay. How do we solve this problem? It's what I love about sales. That's what I love about sales. I think that's what makes sales so interesting. It's just this combination of problem solving and sort of psychology, like you, mm-hmm. you talked about persuasion and building trust. And there's so many interesting elements in it that I think make it such a great, um, such a great profession. Mm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And if you stick it out, you can be like us on your own podcast. I know. We shouldn't say that because then people think, oh, my God, that's that's exactly what I don't want to be. Let me run from the profession now. No. Don't do this. You are on the show every week because you are such a great role model for anybody that's interested in a career in sales. I mean. It's a great career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are far worse uh, careers you could be in, but very few that are, are better, that give you the freedom and the flexibility and the, the challenge, uh, the challenge and, you know, give you a chance to inspire people through your actions, give you the ability to creatively, you know, use the creative part of your brain on a day in day out basis. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, very few jobs provide you that opportunity to exercise those sort of different facets of your, your skill set. That's why we're still doing it. Yeah. That's well, why we, yeah, that's why we're still uh, singing its virtues. Exactly. And I, gosh, I hope when I'm your age, I'm still at it. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, the show's over. Guess we'll see you. Yeah. So, right. um, Okay, well, I've got a lot of other books. We'll go through them. We'll have another episode here shortly because, yeah, I've got just many, many interesting books that I've read recently that uh, people should hear about. And interesting, a lot of them aren't, you know, it's sort of like your negotiation book aren't directly about sales, but they really are sales books. But I mean, they all relate, yep. Yeah, so, all right. So, Bridget, until next week. Until next week. Andy, I'll look forward to it. Yeah, and friends, again, thank you until next week. But as I said before, say every week, yeah, don't wait till next week to come back and visit Accelerate. Listen to some of the great episodes we have with our interesting, exciting guests. And if you have a chance, which I know you do, is take a minute. As soon as you stop listening to this episode, go to the iTunes or the podcast app on your phone and uh, subscribe and leave a review for Accelerate and for Frontline Friday. We really appreciate you taking a minute. So thanks again. And until next week, good selling, everyone. All right. Have a good one.